right? Well, if, if you haven't been with us, we just came off of a story where Jesus walks up to a, an area of Jerusalem where there's a, a big, you know, gathering of sick and lame people, and he walks up to one man in particular who's been sick for 38 years and asks him, do you want to be made well? The guy gives him an explanation for why he hasn't been able to make it in the water to get the superstitious healing that they thought existed, and Jesus tells him, get up, take your bed, and walk. It's awesome. It's amazing. We should be in awe of stories like that. Don't just read through the Bible quickly and be like, oh, cool, Jesus healed the guy. Think like, no, no, 38 years of muscle atrophy, 38 years of, of his body not working, and Jesus says in a moment, get up and walk, and he gets up and walks. Like, you should be, like, stirred to, to rejoice in those moments because it's awesome what the Bible is telling us about Jesus's power. And we just came off another story where there's a there's a, uh, an official whose son is ill and he comes to Jesus and said, will you go with me so you can heal my son? And Jesus says, uh, go ahead, he'll live. And from 15 miles away, Jesus just speaks the word and his son, the fever leaves him and he is well. And so this is the context, but it starts to get, I told you last week, it, it shifts now in, in this passage from this skepticism, this concern from religious officials about what Jesus is doing um, to outright um, persecution, to outright we're going to start plotting to kill Jesus now. And so this is, this is the context we find ourselves in. They get real worked up because this guy that Jesus healed, that he told him to take up his bed and walk, is, is walking through town holding his bed, and that is against their law, not God's law, but their law of, of things that you can do on the Sabbath. And so uh, they say, hey, whoa, what are you doing, man? You can't, you can't walk around with your bed on the Sabbath. You can't pick up your bed. You can't, you can't do that. that. They consider that work. And, and the guy goes, well, I, like the guy who healed me, he told me to. So that's what I'm doing. Maybe you should take it up with him. And they're like, well, who is he? He's like, I, I don't know. And Jesus is already gone. And so, so then they have this confrontation. Jesus tells him, yeah, hey, man, now, now stop sinning so you don't end up in hell because that's your biggest issue, not, not your body. And then we go on. But verse 18 tells us, because he was healing on the Sabbath, because he equated himself with God, this is what has shifted now to outright persecution, to outright let's plot to get rid of this man from the religious people. So uh, there's a famous quote by C.S. Lewis, and we've quoted it here a good bit, but I want to remind you this morning, uh, C.S. Lewis presents, he's, he's not super original to him, but he expounds on it in a really helpful way, where he talks about, we can't just accept Jesus as a nice teacher, as a good moral leader, that he's either God or he is something far worse, a lunatic perhaps, or a liar. Uh, and you really can't just say, well, I, I like Jesus for his teaching, I like Jesus for his social you know, justice, uh, but, but I don't believe he's God. It, we don't have that. So let me read this from, from the book, Mere Christianity, where C.S. Lewis says, A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things that Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would either be a lunatic on the level with the man who says he is a poached egg, or else he would be the devil of hell. You've you got to make your choice. Either this man was and is the son of God, or else a madman or something worse. Lewis says you can shut him up for a fool. You could spit at him and kill him as a demon, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. But let us not come patronizing uh, with nonsense about him being a great human teacher. Jesus has not left that open to us. He did not intend to. Now, it seems obvious to me that he was, either a, he was neither a lunatic nor a fiend, and consequently, however strange or terrifying or unlikely it may seem, Lewis says, I have to accept the view that he was and is 
God. So that's a, it's a compelling quote. We've said it a lot. But what I want to ask for you today as we jump into this text is, does Jesus agree? Is, is C.S. Lewis just saying that on his own? Or does the Bible actually present that very dilemma where we have to choose either Jesus is God or he's out of his mind? Or he's a great deceiver and therefore should be rejected. Is that what the Bible actually teaches? And I think it's, it's passages exactly like this that where Jesus himself is saying that very thing. Lewis said he didn't intend to leave it as an option for us to just think he's a good teacher. And it is very, it's, it's, it's clear here in this passage, people start to interpret what Jesus is saying is that he's saying he's equal with God. They get angry about it. They're starting to grumble about it. They're talking about it. It said, verse 18, this is why they were seeking to all the more. They already kind of wanted to kill him. This really leveled up their intensity. All the more now they are seeking to kill Jesus because not only was he breaking the Sabbath. That was a big deal. Okay? They had, they had lots to lodge against him just for that. But he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So unless you, like think that Jesus is just this miracle-working good teacher that wasn't really interested in being divisive and making people worship him. Right here, people are interpreting what he's saying as, man, this guy's saying he's God. And what does Jesus do? Does he, does he recant? Oh, no, no, I didn't mean it like that. You, my, sorry, guys, I, wasn't, I didn't mean to be offensive. Let me just back that up a little bit. Let me explain what I meant. No, he lets it stand, and in fact, he doubles down. And so Jesus here is going to, begin to explain a bit of Trinitarian theology. And just know, anytime you begin to try to, you sit in the word of God around Trinitarian theology, it's going to be a little dizzying. It's, it's not going to be super clear to try to track with because our God is, is one God existing in three persons, and that, that makes our head hurt, rightly so, because he's bigger than us. He's beyond us. We, we have a God that is beyond our comprehension, and yet he has revealed that this is who he is. So Jesus, in verse 19, says to them, hey, here's the deal, truly, truly, or amen, amen, would be another translation here. This is Jesus. He's going to say that three times in this. This is important. This is Jesus saying, no, no. You need to know this, truly, truly. This is not him just philosophizing. This is not just him spitballing some ideas, what he thinks might be true about the universe. He's saying this is the most true thing that you could know. And he says, the son can do nothing on his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. And whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works was he going to show even than this, so that you may marvel. Now, here's the deal. Some of you are like, okay, this doesn't feel all that offensive. Like, why is, like, why do they get all that angry that Jesus is saying, like, yeah, uh, you know, God loves me, and, and I've, I've seen what he's doing, and so I'm just carrying out what he's doing. Well, first of all, Jesus is saying, yeah, uh, what I'm telling you is that God is doing these kinds of work on the Sabbath. You see, they had built in a, a theology about what God could do on the Sabbath. They, they had their paradigm for like, okay, well, we know God can't like take the complete day off because the universe would stop existing. So he's got to do some work, but he can't do too much work. And so they, they had things in their rabbinical discussions about like, okay, well, you know, God, you, you can't lift anything above your shoulders. And this was their attempt to say like, you can do a little bit of work because God's like, he's not, he's not like creating anything new. He's not going above and beyond on the Sabbath day, but he can't be breaking his own law. So like, He's just doing a little. This is the kind of reasoning they've got. And Jesus is blowing up that reasoning. 
And so it's freaking them out because he's saying, no, God's, God is doing this sort of work. Absolutely, he's healing on the Sabbath. The Lord, God took a Sabbath back in Genesis. When? When the earth was finished and whole. So Jesus comes along and makes a man whole. And he's saying, this is the very work that God has come to do. To restore what has been robbed of its goodness and its wholeness because of sin. And so Jesus says, this is what God... So that's freaking them out. But then he goes on to say, hey, I'm just doing what my dad's doing. I'm just doing what the Father in heaven's doing. Now listen, that doesn't sound real offensive to us. But for the Jew in this time, they would not utter such a word as to call God their father. For them, like theologically, they knew that he was their God and, and you know, some fatherly. But for them to say that was, was, was way too casual and was bordering on blasphemy for them. They would not utter the words, God, my father. Like that, that for them, because, and, and there's a lot to that. There's the reverence of the Yahweh of the Bible, but there's also the, the cultural um, ties of family, and, and, the, and, you know, the son absolutely represents and is one with the father in this, this cultural moment. And so for them to say, yeah, God's my father, is, it, it, it feels way too dangerous, way too intimate. They would never do that. So not only does Jesus do that and let them freak out, how many of you have problems with people being upset at you? And you don't do well at just letting it be. Literally, my wife on the way to church today was like, you got you to be okay with people not being happy with you. I just talking about my kids because we were late and I didn't want to leave. Anyway, it was a long story, but literally, she told me that today. And there's a history there because I do struggle with that. So, like, we, okay, people are upset. Like, let me make that right. Jesus is like, yeah, I called him my father. Go ahead and be freaked out. Why? Is he just there to freak people out for the sake of it? No, he wants to, to, he wants to pique their attention. He is here to turn the world, not upside down, but actually right side up. Because they've got it all wrong, thinking that they've got God in a box, and they know what he should do and what they should do. And all. Jesus is coming and saying, no, no, you've got it all wrong. Let me come and, let me come and, and, and reorient you to who God actually is. And so he lets them freak out, and then he goes on, and he doubles down, and he, and he begins to explain, listen, this is why God, like God is doing this sort of work, and because he loves the Son, he's shown me everything that he's doing, and you know what? He's going to show me even greater things. He's going to do even greater things, verse 20. Why? So that you may marvel. Jesus is saying this about himself. I'm here so that you may be in awe of who God is. You see, they had shrunk God in their view. They had allowed their own, their own self, their own life, their own pride to be really puffed up, and they thought they had things figured out, and they were able to tell people, well, this is how we do things, and this is what God is doing. And, and God had gotten really small in their view, and they'd lost their fear of God. Instead, they feared religion and law and status and these sorts of things, and Jesus is saying, I'm going to blow y'all's mind. And that's not, Jesus is not looking for popularity. We've already seen like three times where Jesus has pulled away from a crowd. Jesus is not interested in blowing their minds so that he can get their praise and accolade. Like literally in the story before, he heals that guy and then slides back into the crowd. Okay? So it's not Jesus saying, let me flex, let me show everybody so I can get all this fanfare. No, no. 
saying, God's going to do amazing things through me. And why? So that you may marvel. Verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. So he's going to shift now and begin to talk about this really critical thing called death. But here's what I want us to see before we go into that, 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 that Jesus is saying the reason God is working and displaying and doing these miracles, the way that he is doing them, is not for the sake of the miracles in and of themselves. It was never about the miracles. The miracles are a sign. The miracles are to point us further. And what Jesus is saying here is the miracles are to orient us, to grab our attention, like not just for a moment, not in a surface level, but to, to literally cause us to marvel in a way that our whole lives are reoriented around who Jesus is. You see, the, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, the good Jews of the day had their worldview. They had their idea of how things were going to operate and what they were supposed to do. And if I do this, that makes me a good person. If I do this, I've achieved this level of righteousness. And if I do this, and, and they've got all of that. And so they see what Jesus is doing, and they go, well, this doesn't fit my worldview. This doesn't fit how I thought life was going to work. So let me turn around and attack him and reject him. Jesus is saying, no, 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 guys. You don't interpret me through your understanding of the world. And this is what so many of us do, isn't it? We have our worldview. We have our political view. We have our ideas, our, our thoughts. This is how life should work. This is what we were taught. These are our values. So let me read the Bible, look at Jesus, and find a church that will affirm my worldview, my stuff, make me feel good about the life that I've chosen, the values that I have. Don't we? Jesus is saying, no, no, <laughs> you do that you're going to reject me. Or you do that, you're going to turn me into something I'm not. This is why the Bible says, hey, don't, don't make a God in your own image. Don't start drawing up what you think I am. Jesus said, no, no, you need to be oriented fully, solely, centered on Jesus. Like understanding who he is. And then from this perspective of knowing Jesus, now we look at the world. And we make sense of the world and our life and our story through who Jesus is. Jesus is saying, no, no, I'm going to keep doing awesome stuff. And the whole idea is not for the stuff, but you would marvel at who I am. Jesus is saying, I am the center of the universe. I'm the center. John has set us up. Chapter 1, he went to great lengths to tell us who this Jesus was. He's the creator. He's the one who spoke the world into existence. He's the one that holds it all together. And he's the one who has come. He's the one who has come to reveal who God is to a broken and sinful world. And Jesus is saying, you need to understand, I'm not real concerned about upsetting your apple carts. I'm here to reorient you to the thing. Right? Have you, we all know about the North Star. It's a fascinating thing, isn't it? That all of us in the Northern Hemisphere can look, and, and if we could see that North Star, we know that that's North. I don't know. If that's not fascinating to you, you need to look a little bit deeper. 
It's like our earth spinning, like a couple ways. Spinning this way, spinning this way, right? There's this thing we can orient ourselves to. It's incredible. And it should cause you to praise God. Because wherever you are, you, you can see that. Okay, that, that makes sense of everything else. I know that that's north now. I know, I know that's not. I know that that's north now. Okay, I know. Somebody was bothered by that, I'm sure. Right? <laughs> that's north now, right? So that's west, that's east, that's like, And it orients us. Some of you are like, thank you. I never know. Right? That's me. I, I only know because Route 13 runs that way and 57 runs that way. That's it. That's all I got. If I don't know where I'm at in relation to the couple roads, I'm, I'm confused. But, but that orients us. Jesus is saying, that's me. That's why I'm here. And in essence, yes, this is a complicated passage, but what Jesus is saying is, is kind of like, hey, you know how sons look at their dads and they learn how to do life by watching their dads? Right? Little boys that watch their dads, okay, that's how, that's, how, that's how a man should walk. That's how a man should talk. That's how he carries himself, his shoulders, all, all of those things. Like, it, it starts to shape and form. Jesus is saying, listen, I'm not going rogue here. He's saying, I'm not just some maverick out here to do some new cool spiritual tricks. I'm simply doing what any son does, what their father does. He's saying, I'm doing what my father has done and is doing. I'm, I'm simply carrying out his work. Right, and so this is this is Jesus is calling us to be recentered on who he is, and and here and he's going to change the center point of what humanity does by default. Because what's the center point of our life and our plans and our values without Jesus? Death, isn't it? Isn't death this sobering, like universal thing? Y'all act like you didn't know. You're going to die, y'all. Like 10 out of 10. It's ultimate statistic. Will die. And so that, whether you think about it or not, that is this orienting event that we know is forthcoming that determines so much of our life and what we should do and, and what, you know, how, we, how we spend our time. And Jesus is going to come right at that, right after talking about that he is the, the center he goes, in, he goes in and calls out this thing that everyone is worried about. That's what has driven the Jews to have all these laws. You, know, you understand that, right? They're worried about death. They're worried about the afterlife. They're worried about whether or not they will be received by God. And so they have to earn that. Okay? That's what's caused all these laws. Jesus comes right at that in verse 21 and says, uh, here's the deal, guys. God's raising people from the dead. And as he does that and gives them life, I'm here to do the same thing. 22, for the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son, that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him. That's this orienting. It's all about Jesus. He's not simply the sacrifice. He's not less than that. He is all. He is the center that we put all of our life around. And if you don't honor Jesus, you're not honoring the father. Truly, truly, I say to you. Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment. He is passed from life to death. So here's the deal. Too many of us treat Jesus like we do our life insurance policies. Don't we? I mean, now, are those important? Yeah. But does it consume our life and be the thing that we orient? And, you know, like how many of y'all are just having conversations about your life insurance policy just all the time? 
You got free time. You just pull that thing up, read it. It's just like, hey, babe, check out paragraph three. It's beautiful, right? You're just like, just, just loving it. No, it doesn't stir your soul. You're like, okay, cool. I got, a, I got a, a, an important uh, task taken care of. There's plans that I needed to make. They were looming and impending on my life. I needed to make plans so that that, doesn't any, that no longer takes up mental space in my mind. I've got a plan. It comes out automatically. I've got a plan. My loved ones will be taken care of. Like we, that's kind of how we do it, right? It, it's an important thing, but it doesn't consume us. And, and, and so many of us treat Jesus like that. And here's why. I think we see death as a threat to our life. You're like, well, yeah, Jordan. I mean, I think you should too. Right? Some of y'all are concerned about me. But, but I think we're looking at life wrong. Right? See, if we, if we look at it in terms of like, will I get everything that I want? Like if we're looking at it as this is life, this is the real existence, like what is really good will happen during this life. Right? You only live once. YOLO. Like, people still say that? Probably not. I realize I'm on that old side of slang, so most of you are fine with it. Um, some of y'all didn't even know what that means. You only live once. But there's this, like, we, we can laugh at that, but that's kind of what operates in our lives. So then we look at eternity as this consolation and reward, right? So we think, okay, this is what matters but death is coming, so i got to make plans for that. And so we think, okay, i, I got I to make plans. I, 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 when this is over, this is what's good, but when this is over, do I want to suffer forever in hell? It's really hot there. Or do I, do I want to, you know, a pretty a rich life? We don't know, you know, maybe we don't know a ton about it. But So, no, we don't want to suffer forever. So then we weigh out whether or not what Jesus is asking us to do is worth the sacrifice. I sold life insurance for just a minute, like three months. It was terrible. But that's what you're doing in those moments. You're presenting this, this, this issue to these people and saying, hey, you don't want to, like, you don't hate your family, do you? You know, basically. And you're like, well, no. Like, well, okay, you should take care of them. And you're like, it'll cost this much. And they're just like, I don't know, man. Like, is it worth it? And I'm like, I don't know. Do you hate your family? And they're like, I, I mean, no, but, like, do I need that much? And I'm like, I think you do. Anyway, it was just, like, that's how we weigh it out. Like, is it worth it? Is what it's going to cost me in the moment, is it worth it? And that's kind of how we begin to look at Jesus. So, yeah, I don't want to go to hell, so I need to have an eternity plan. So is it worth it? Is it worth giving up my Sunday mornings for? Is it worth a little bit of money? Is it worth, right, fill in the blank. You see, this is, this is how we make decisions about life insurance, but it shouldn't carry over to Jesus, right? Like, it's not the same. So, but because we can't handle death on our own, we better trust Jesus for this whole death thing. And then we look at it through this lens, right? And some people, honestly, look at life through that lens, and they hear the call of Jesus, and they see people like us that have gathered on Sunday morning, and they make the conscious choice to go, you know what? I don't think it is worth it. I'm just going to live my life and get what I can out of it. I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry because I'm going to die someday. Let me get what I can out of this life. Some people, that's actually the paradigm, whether they're articulating it that way or not. That's what they're thinking is, man, I, I don't think religion is worth it. I don't think Christianity is worth it. So I'm just going to get what I can out of life, and I'll suffer the consequences later if, if there is any, right? But here's the deal. This is not what Jesus is bringing. Look at how he talks about eternity. Look at how Jesus speaks about life and eternity. It, he's not talking about 
this, this afterlife that's this consolation. Like so often we think about heaven, we think about when we die, and we have this kind of misty, dim, weird like view of what's going to be happening. This disembodied, or if it's a body, it's a chubby baby on a cloud with a harp body. You're like, I don't think I want that. I don't either. But that's, that's actually not what Jesus is, t- is talking about. Look at the way that he talks about Death in the afterlife. Let's go to verse 25. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming, and it's now here, where the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. That dead has a double meaning there. It's both talking about the people who are here on earth, that we're dead in our sins. The Bible's really clear that before Jesus comes and brings new life, we are like zombies. Walking. We're dead. The, the, the dry bones in Ezekiel, that's us. We need him to breathe life on us. This is the new birth that he talked to Nicodemus about. And so it's both the dead in that sense, right, and the actual people who have already passed on. He says there's going to be a day whenever they will hear and and they will live. For verse 26, for the Father has life in himself. Where does life come from? We've talked about this already in John. We've talked about this in other Bibles. But like life in and of itself, like the difference between a, 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 a piece of like flesh with all the organs, all the working stuff, all the blood vessels and everything, all of that, the difference between that hunk of body and a living being is what? It's life. Where does life come from? It comes from God. Like, he's the one that breathed life into Adam and Eve and brought that piece of flesh that he created to life. He breathed life into him. And so he's saying, God has that in and of himself. That's where this all started. And he's granted the son also to have life in himself. So Jesus is a self-sustaining, like immortal being. You can't, like, he tells later, you can't take my life unless I lay it down. Like, this is who our Jesus is, that life exists within him. Verse 27, and he has given him the authority to execute judgment because he is the son of man. Don't marvel at this, he says, because an hour is coming when the tombs will, will... The people in the tombs are going to hear his voice, and they will come out. This is, like, he's not talking about this misty, weird, dim, eternal existence. He's talking about an embodied, eternal life. He says, they'll come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life, those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. So it's not just those who follow Jesus, that have an eternity in a body, but it's, it's actually those who didn't as well. Like, we will all exist in eternity, for eternity, in, in a physical form. This is what Jesus is saying. And so life is not to be reduced to this existence here, and we think, okay, i got to get what I can out of it. Jesus is saying, no, 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 lift your eyes. I'm offering something far better than just prosperity here on this earth. That's so short-sighted. I've come to bring you life, like Eternal life. Yes, heaven when we die. But that eternal life begins now when it stirs us to a new birth. And this is what he's talking about. So he, he mentions a judgment here. There will be judgment. You need to know that, right? There, there will be judgment and there will be an eternity after that judgment. And what you do with Jesus determines what that life is like. So here's the deal. We've got to talk about verse 29 a little bit because it can be confusing if you, if you don't unpack it and let the Bible interpret the Bible. So verse 29 says that the people in the tombs will hear the, his voice and they will come out, those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. Now, on the surface, that sounds like a works-based deal, doesn't it? Did you do good stuff? Okay, you get to go resurrection to life. Did you, did you do evil things? Okay, you get to go 
resurrection of, of judgment. Um, but that's not, that's not what verse 29 is saying. So you come across hard verses. You need to let the Bible interpret the Bible. Jesus is going to talk a lot about what makes someone good or what someone does good versus evil. The Bible is going to be clear in other places, Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 6, that, that no one does good. No one is good. No one is seeking God. Ephesians 2 says we're all dead in our trespasses and sins. And so it's not that there are some who are good enough to get into heaven, and on that resurrection day, they'll get to go this way, and the rest of us will go that way. No, no, it, it's not like that. The Bible's clear in lots of other places that that's not how it works. This verse is actually strengthening the point that Jesus has been making that it is in him that life is found because it's, it's not the doing of good things that puts you in good favor with God so that you can be accepted. It's being accepted by God and being in his favor that causes us to do good things. Okay, I know it's confusing, so here, let me say it again. What Jesus is not saying that if you do good things, you'll be in his favor and you'll be accepted. When he says, those who have done good, they get the resurrection of life. It's going to be awesome. And those who have done evil, they get the resurrection of judgment. What he's saying is those who have been transformed by what he was talking about earlier, hearing the voice, right? Let's go back to verse 24. Um, truth is truth, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him, who sent me, right, whoever hears Jesus' teaching and believes in a way that transforms their life, they have eternal life. They don't come into judgment, but rather they've passed from death to life. So what Jesus is saying is the way that you pass from death to life, the way that you get from the judgment, you know, resurrection of judgment to the resurrection of life is, is not through good deeds, but rather through hearing what Jesus is saying about salvation and believing that God is, is true, that God is what he says, that we all need a Savior, that Jesus is that Savior, and that without him there is no salvation. When we believe that, when we put our faith and trust in him, then we are transformed. And then 1 John makes it clear that we can't have this kind of love of God in us and not do good things. It will lead to good things, not good things so that we can earn God's favor, but because he's given us his favor. So if you're here, you're wondering about Christianity, you can't, like, it's not about being a good person. It's not about trying harder, doing better. It's about receiving the truth that you can't try hard enough, you can't do good enough. But Jesus lived the life that you could never live. He has the perfect life. And he's willing to give you that resume when it comes to standing before God. Why? Because he took your resume and he went to the cross. And there, the great exchange happens. He takes our filth, our unrighteousness, our sin, and he absorbs the death that you and I deserve. And then he says, for all who will repent of their sin, trust in me as their Savior, make me the Lord of their life, they will be saved. And they will no longer... Verse 24 is such good news. No longer come into judgment, but will pass from death to life. So death is just a doorway into resurrection life. Man, we sang my favorite two songs back to back there. I was like jacked. And I got to be short today, so I'm like, 
It's good, right? Death is just a doorway into resurrection life. That cross brings transformation. You can hang me there with you. Like, this is what we are transformed. We're no longer people who fear death. We're no longer people who are worried about getting our goodie out of this life because we're like, hey, 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 this is just to set us up for eternity. I'm going to make much of Jesus, and when I make much of Jesus, he's got much for me on the other side. It, it, it transforms who we are as a people because we're passed from death to life. This is the good news. This is such good news. And Jesus does it all. He says, Jesus is like, yeah, God left it all up to me. Judgment's going to happen. You're going to die and you will be judged. Jesus has got that job. Here's what he's going to be asking. Here's what he's going to be judging you off of. What did you do with this good news? The good news that Jordan just told you, the good news that is in the Bible, what did you do with it? That's the judgment. And, and you don't have to wonder, well, can I be good enough? Can I do that? No, no. Jesus says, it's all me. I got you. If you're feeling this call, if you're seeing the glory of God being revealed in your life, that means Jesus is at work in your life. He's got you. Jesus says, it's all to, it's all to me. Like, I, like he's given me the, the, the choice, the ability to give life to whom I will give life. And it's going to make for an amazing eternity when God calls all those who have gone before back into a physical existence to stand in judgment, and then to go. Those who have trusted in Jesus, heard his words, to everlasting, physical, better than you can imagine life. So here's the good news. You won't have regrets. You're like, man, I don't know. I, I really want to see the Grand Canyon. I don't know if it will be there in the new heaven and new earth exactly, but it'll be better. If it's not there, whatever is will be better. You won't be like, oh, man, this is cool, Lord, old golden streets and stuff, but like, I really was going to go to Arizona. No, you'll just be like, your face will just be melted with his beauty. But the very real reality is for those of us that reject Jesus, we are passed to the life of judgment, separated from that life and eternity suffering and hell but God loved the world enough to come not to condemn it because we already did that ourselves but to bring salvation to bring hope so man what are you doing with this Jesus has he changed you in that way you heard him I, I, like don't resist thinking like you need more time like no Today is the day of salvation. We, you are a good company. We're all here because we realize, man, we can't do this on our own. We're sinful, hopeless people without Jesus, but we've heard the call of Jesus and we've turned to him and our lives have forever been changed. That can be true for you too. Let's pray. Jesus, man, you're so much better, so much bigger, so much more powerful and yet more gracious than we could ever imagine. And yet you love us, man. Don't ever let us get over that. Become and, and, and just settle with your spirit in our souls today in a way that, man, just draws us into a, a posture of gratitude and awe and marveling 
cause us to marvel today, Jesus. It's in your name we pray.